0: Good evening. The scripture reading this evening is taken from the gospel of Luke, according to Luke, chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Luke 9, beginning in verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. You may be seated. Well, I certainly want to thank you for your presence this evening. Very grateful for you being with us tonight. We're all a little taken back at the news that we've received about the Kalers, and I echo what was mentioned in our announcements tonight. Please remember John and Georgine and Jim in your prayers, and uh, we're very fond of them. They're very important people to us, and we want to uh, ask the Lord's blessings to be upon them in a very trying, difficult time. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're happy to have you, and tonight we continue once again with our Sunday night seminar. We try to take a topic and study it a little more deeply in a seminar fashion. An outline is being provided for your help in that. If you need an outline, did I get one? Please raise your hand and these deacons will come by and give you an outline so that you can have a record of what we're studying tonight. And then, of course, I left purposefully a margin, a larger margin on the right side so that you could make notes and And make your comments and that sort of thing. And I hope that you'll be able to keep these matters filed away. And as they come up, once again, you'll be able to study them. And it will be of help to you. What I want to do tonight, as we are looking now at, uh, uh, in just a few weeks, a gospel meeting. And I wanted to kind of accomplish a number of things tonight. I'm not going to be able to say everything that I want to say about prayer. I think what we'll do is discuss this tonight and then again next Sunday night, and that'll bring our Sunday night seminar to a close. And then we'll be focusing and giving our time and attention to the theme of our gospel meeting, I Can Trust My Bible. Stan, thank you for leading us in that beautiful song tonight, Give Me the Bible. That's one of my favorites. And I I remember singing that even just a young boy. And uh, I never get tired of singing, He Leadeth Me. What a great song that is. And uh, these fine song leaders lead us in such a fine fashion. I'm very grateful for the songs that they lead and the fine way that they lead us in that. So that is what our intention is. Tonight, next Sunday night, Lord willing. And then we'll be focusing our time and our attention on our meeting. And and I hope that you'll invite others to come to our gospel meeting the first full week of uh, April, which will be here before we know it. So with that in mind, I thought, well, I'll try to take several prayers ...and put them into one lesson tonight. And I just called it, As He Was Praying. And I took that from this passage that Nat Nat read for us tonight... ...in Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. Now it happened that, as he was praying... ...and I went through the pages of the Bible and the New Testament... ...looking at people who prayed. And I wanted to find, what's the lesson that I could take away... ...from each one of these incidents. And I found six tonight don't let that concern you. I'll be very brief in my discussions of these six incidents. I'll try to mention them, especially with the fact that you have the visual in front of you and that you have the notes in front of you as well. We'll be able to cover this material and do it very meaningfully and reasonably in the time that is allotted for us. The first one that I had uh, in mind tonight as he prayed is that of Cornelius, and I'd like to turn to the book of Acts and ask you to turn to that particular chapter, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was praying. Cornelius was a wonderful character in the Bible, but Acts chapter 11 tells us that Cornelius was lost. In fact, if you read the characteristics and the qualities of this man in chapter 10, you have a mighty fine man. In fact, a lot of people might even look upon Cornelius as being the um, kind of man that would really be a saved individual, but he was not. Cornelius needed to repent and obey the gospel. And that's why we have his story in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. It's a wonderful thing that we learn about the life of Cornelius. Caesarea is some 30 miles north of Joppa where Peter is at the time. And uh, he's told to go and get uh, uh, Peter to come and uh, visit with him. And Peter will tell him the things that he needs to do. Uh, he was a devout man, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. This English Standard Version translates it. I'm in Acts chapter 10, I'm in verse one and two. It tells us Cornelius was a centurion. He's over at least a hundred men, very responsible. I got to looking up that word centurion in the Bible. There's six centurions mentioned in the New Testament. And each time, I notice it's interesting that the Bible gives them or puts them in a favorable light. Here's another one that is mentioned, Cornelius. He's a centurion of the Italian cohort. Caesarea was the seat of government for Palestine. So it's probably, by calling him the Italian band or the Italian cohort, He's uh, probably a high-ranking official in the Roman army that's used to escort government leaders and officials from place to place as they go about their adjudications and administrative work in Caesarea. He was a devout man. To say that he was a devout man is to say that he was a very reverent man. And he feared God. To say that he feared God is to say that he had renounced idolatry. And he saw how shallow that was and... How unsubstantial that particular matter was. And he devoted himself to God and he feared God with all his house, all his household. He was a family man. And that, I suppose, would include the slaves and the servants that he might have had at the time. He gave alms generously to the people. He's a very generous individual. And this is what caught my eye for the present study and prayed continually to God. I wanted to study about Cornelius. Because when the Bible says he was a man who prayed to God, then that means here's a man that I want to study more about. If you'll notice in this particular passage, about verse 31, there uh, the statement is made uh, from Peter. And in verse 30, And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. At the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. God heard his prayer. Now, that's always been an element of contention. Will God hear a sinner's prayer? I just made the statement that Cornelius was lost and needed the gospel. I made that in light of Acts chapter 11, verse 14. That's what Peter said about him. He needed to obey the gospel of Christ. He needed to repent of his sins become a child of God. Peter commanded that he be baptized, Acts chapter 10, verse 48. As we know the story, Cornelius was baptized. The point at present was, did God hear his prayer? And the answer to that is yes. A lot of times the discussion will center around John chapter 9, verse 31. But as you read John 9 and 31, just keep in mind that the person making that statement is not an inspired speaker. John nine thirty-one, of course As the individual said, and we all know that God will not hear a sinner's prayer. And the individual, I think, who simply will not turn to God, will not love God, will not obey God, his prayer indeed is an abomination to God. That's Proverbs 28 and verse 9. So there is a sense in which God will not hear that prayer. I guess in the case of Cornelius, it depends on what that person's praying for and why. I don't know what he said in his prayer. I wish I did. I wish I knew more about the wording of Cornelius' prayer. But the Holy Spirit didn't give it to me. And Luke decided that's not a part of the story that you need to know. You need to know that he was a man of prayer. And he's a man who prayed continually. Even though he was not a child of God at this point in time. He will become one. Acts chapter 10 and 48. Still he prayed and God heard the prayer. I believe it depends on what the man's praying for. If Cornelius is praying, God... Send somebody to help me study the Word of God. God, send somebody. Let me learn your Word so that I can be pleasing in your sight. Heavenly Father, may I learn what to do in order to be saved and be pleasing to you. I believe God, providentially, will get the sinner and the preacher together and in turn that man will come to know the Word of God. I can remember another man that was praying And Ananias said, Saul, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22 and verse 16. Saul of Tarsus was praying. For three days he prayed. He did not eat, he did not sleep, he did not drink, but Saul of Tarsus was praying to God. Did God hear his prayer? He got the sinner and the preacher together providentially so that that sinner with an honest heart could hear what he needed to do from that preacher. That's what you have in this case right here. I believe it probably amounts to what is the man praying for if God's going to hear it. If he's going to be a very rebellious person and doesn't care about God, God's not going to hear that prayer. His prayer is an abomination. But if that man is praying for salvation, praying that he'll do the will of God, God's going to hear that prayer just like he heard Cornelius and his prayer even though Cornelius was not a child of god when i read about Cornelius and i enjoy talking about this first gentile convert to the gospel of christ i read about a man whose prayer changed his life here's a man who's praying to god and god answered that prayer by sending peter to him told him what to do go send men to joppa and secure a man his name is simon whose surname is peter And bring me, and I'll tell you the words you need to know. And so we immediately sent those men. And in the very next instance, we read about Peter in chapter 10, about verse 9. And that's the very next point that I make. But the point that I have in mind right now, prayer led to his conversion to Christ. Oh, it was not a matter of just saying, Lord, forgive me my sins. But he's praying to God for help. And God responds to him, bringing the gospel to him and when Cornelius hears the gospel of Christ he responds and obeys. You see what prayer can do? It can change your life. It can change my life if I simply believe in it and will follow it as I should. I want to talk a little bit about Peter. Here's a man who prayed. He was praying on the hous- housetop. Now I was thinking about Peter because Peter's you know closely connected to our story about Cornelius Uh, Peter's in Joppa by the seashore, the seacoast. This was typical of tanneries in that time. The work of being a tanner was not a pleasant kind of work. They often used the salt water in the process of tanning the hides. And uh, here he is. He's up on the housetop and he's praying at the the noon hour. And Peter's a man of prayer. He he wants to pray. He continually prays. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, verse 9... Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. As he was praying, this great vision came upon him. Now you would think Peter would understand about the great breadth of the gospel. You would think that Peter would understand when Jesus told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature, that that would mean the Gentiles as well. And you and I look back on those gospel records and we read and we study and we can say yeah Jesus is referring to that Jesus is mentioning the lost sheep of the house of Israel but look about the Syrophoenician woman and look at these other people Jesus knows that they're going to be included in the kingdom as well that's part of God's divine plan you would think that Peter's an apostle would have understand understood the breadth of the gospel more but it took this vision to open up his eyes For him to really see the work of God. Now maybe he thought when he saw and heard Jesus say, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Maybe he thought that just meant to all the Jews of the world. Maybe he just thought, Go into all the world and preach the gospel just to the Jews. But evidently, it never really in his mind crossed his mind to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Until he got this vision. And I'll leave that to you to study this particular vision. One thing I'm impressed about Peter is he's alone. He went on the housetop, which was a common place for them to relax or to be alone. Their roofs in Caesarea, being on the coast, were kind of a flat-roofed houses. And they would often, in the evening, get on the housetop and enjoy the cooler Mediterranean breezes. Or they might sleep at night on the housetop. Here to be alone, he prays to God. I don't know the wording of his prayer. The Bible does not tell us what he said in his prayer. Maybe Peter is saying, Lord, I'm your servant. Use me in your wonderful way. Use me more and more for the kingdom's sake. I don't know what he said. The Bible doesn't tell me what he said, but knowing this man like I do in this instance and in this time of his life, he could very well have been praying, Lord, use me. If that's what he said in his prayer, he's going to be used more than he could ever imagine because now he's going to go into the house of a Gentile, taking others with him, and preach the gospel for the first time to the Gentiles. This is a monumental type of undertaking and God used him in a wonderful way. He opened up the door of faith to the Jews, Acts chapter 2. He opens up the door of faith to the Gentile world, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. I remember very well uh, back in, I believe it was the 60s, and that iron curtain was over there and they erected that concrete wall, you know, the Second World War had ended, and the Communist part of Germany did not want those people leaving and going west. So the eastern part of Germany, in Berlin, erected by the Communists this concrete wall. And it was a preventative from leaving. The propaganda was, so many people want to come to East Germany, we got to build a wall, keep them out. But the truth of the matter was, so many people trying to get out of East Germany to go to West Germany, where there was freedom, they built a wall and kept them from coming out. And over 170 died in their attempt to cross that concrete wall, that iron curtain. And you'll remember... Uh John F. Kennedy's great speech and the Berlin airlift and all the history involved in the Iron Curtain, the wall. President Reagan went over there to West Berlin. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, bring this wall down. You know what happened? November 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. Carol and I used to work and live in Southern California. And there in Simi Valley, California, is the Reagan Library, the Presidential Library. Well, I wanted to go to it. I've been to it two or three times because I'm always just so excited about going to that Presidential Library. And it's a beautiful part of California in Simi Valley. And as you go into um, the Presidential Library, beautiful glass doors that you go through and you keep going. And then you can either go to the right or go to the left. You go on through to the other side. And they're standing by itself... On the back side of the Presidential Library is a portion of the Iron Curtain which they brought over and set up as a memorial to Ronald Reagan and the work which he did as President of the United States. It's quite a fitting monument to this uh, president that we've had in the past. The wall came down and now people from the east can go to the west and the west can go to the east. As monumental as that barrier was, as as monumental as that wall was dividing between the two, the wall that you and I are studying tonight is even greater. Whereby the wall that separated Jew and Gentile from the church of Christ came down. And that God in His wisdom and His merciful kindness is sending the preacher to the sinner with a sincere heart and saying, I want you to preach the gospel to that man. He's been praying. You've been praying. And now I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to preach to him so that he can learn what he needs to do. And tear down that wall. And when that wall came down, the door of faith was opened to every individual. It doesn't mean no matter who you are, or where you are, where you lived, or what you've done. If you obey the gospel of Christ. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. You'll receive that forgiveness which God and Christ have promised. All made possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. All made possible because of the grace of God. And obedient faith. There's a greater wall that came down there that day than even the Berlin Wall, as great a wall of separation as that was. And you know how all that got going? Here's a man over here praying. Teach me what I need to do. Here's a man over here praying. Use me in your service in a wonderful way. Use me to be more faithful. Use me for the betterment of your kingdom. And God answered that prayer. I love to talk about these matters more. But I want to talk about Jesus and Him praying. Jesus prayed. And one of the things I learned about Jesus praying is that Jesus prayed in real crucial times in His life. I, I see Him praying. Jesus, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 3 and 21, as our scripture passage on the matter, was praying when He was baptized. It was an important matter in the life of Jesus when he was baptized. Now, don't misunderstand the point of Jesus and him being baptized. Jesus was not baptized because he was guilty of sin. Uh, you and I are. We're baptized and we repent of sin. And we're immersed in water for the remission of sins. We need to be baptized and we need the cleansing blood of Christ because all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God, but not so with Jesus Christ. And you might ask the question, why then was Jesus baptized? And that very point is made in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15, to fulfill all righteousness. You'll remember back there in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus asked these Pharisaical Jews, the baptism of John, whence came it, from heaven or from men? And they thought, well, now wait a minute, now let's see. If we say it was from heaven, he'll ask us, why didn't we obey it? If we say from men, then we fear the people, because everybody knows John was a prophet. You know, the best way out of this jam is just say, well, we just don't know. <laughs> and he said, then I'm not going to answer your question. You won't be honest and answer mine. I'm not going to answer your question. Everybody knows the baptism of John came from heaven. Matthew 21 and verse 25. Jesus comes to fulfill that righteousness. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. In crucial moments like that, we find Jesus praying. So I thought, I'll try to trace that down. Let me see when Jesus prays. He prays during some very crucial moments in life. For example, in Luke chapter 6, what does Jesus do there? He is getting ready to pick his apostles. Old disciples are following him, But he's getting ready to pick them. This is a crucial moment. But what do you see Jesus doing in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12? In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came he called his disciples. And chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. In crucial situations Jesus prayed. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Jesus is praying during very difficult times. He prays during good days. He prays during bad days. Here in Luke chapter 9 and 28, you have the transfiguration of Jesus. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. And you know the rest of that story. Jesus prayed during very consequential moments and times of his life. And I'm beginning to pick up on an important point now by this. I'm seeing Jesus prayed in important times and important moments. I need to find the time to pray in important times and important moments. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, staying with this particular matter. Where is Jesus? And I think what we should do is really study this particular prayer of the Lord uh, in more detail. He says in about verse 43, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus is praying in the garden, you see. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The intensity of his prayer. The point that I'm learning is through important points and times and circumstances. Jesus took the time to pray. Notice over here in chapter 23. Jesus is on the cross. And all of us are familiar with the statements here. Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull... There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. Now verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jump over there to about verse 46. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When I study the life of Jesus, one thing I'm learning over and over again is the fact But through real, significant, consequential moments in life, Jesus is praying. And I should do the same as well. One of the things prayer will do, prayer will change us. And I think the apostles learned that lesson. In Acts chapter 4, according to your outline, you have the release of the apostles. They had been arrested by the Jewish Sanhedrin Peter and John have been discussing matters before the council and they put them in jail. They've released them. I think I will spend just a moment, a brief moment, analyzing this passage a little more tonight. Beginning at about verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, here's the prayer. So let me study it for a minute. What's the first point that they're making in this prayer? now, as I see this situation, the group is gathered together. these the apostles, these men are overjoyed at the fact of the release of Peter and John, but what's the point here? have it a prayer leader and the rest of them are joining in together in prayer. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The first thing that they appeal to is the sovereignty of God. God's the creator of the world. He has the right to rule. He created the world, the world belongs to him sovereign lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father david your servant said by the holy spirit why do the gentiles rage now they're quoting the bible in the prayer this is psalm 2 and the people plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the lord and against his anointed didn't they do that for sure surely they did They mention that further in the prayer, verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined, predestined to take place. God had determined that Jesus would die on the cross, but he used these men and their freedom in order to bring that about. Only God could do that which would result in glory to God and the salvation of man. God predetermined that. They didn't have to do it, but He knew what they would freely choose to do. Hence the reference to had predestined to take place. And then verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon your threats and grants to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're saying now, give us strength to preach boldly. Give us ability to speak boldly in this city and in this place. Now, wait a minute. Isn't this Peter who not too long ago denied that he ever knew the Lord? Isn't this the guy in this very city among some of these very people? Who said, no, I don't know him, and cursed and swore when the young girl said, your speech betrays you. Yet now he's praying, give me more boldness. You can't keep him quiet now. You see what prayer can do for a person. Prayer can change a person. These apostles are changed. These disciples of the Lord are no longer timid like they once were. But now being endowed by God the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, and their desire to preach and teach the Word of God, they pray for more boldness. "...while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, continue working these great miracles to confirm the message which we are preaching. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit." and to con- and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. He, they're praying for boldness. They're saying, give us strength, give us boldness. Where at one time we were timid, now give, it, give us boldness to preach and teach. And the whole place was shaken, which would confirm to them <coughs> that God has heard this prayer, and that God has answered this prayer. And the giving of the Holy Spirit, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Change me, and make me what I need to be. Help me be the kind of servant that you will want me to be, to be the kind of servant that will be pleasing in your sight. Give me opportunity to preach and teach. Give me opportunity to lead someone, to help someone. Along the way, these men are saying, give us boldness that we can preach and teach your word. Peter's a changed man, at one time timid, and now he's bold. And he's praying for it. You can't stop him from preaching even if you tried. And they did. And they released him. And now he's out there preaching and teaching the Word of God once again. That's what prayer can do for an individual. If you'll let God work in your life, follow the Word of God. Prayer can change a person. That is for sure. I'd like to talk about this for a minute. As they were praying... You'll remember in this instance in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are at Philippi. And aren't those amazing events that took place in Philippi? Just amazing. And you know what happened there. A congregation is established at Philippi is one of the finest congregations in all the New Testament. And here in Acts chapter 16, we see something of the background that went into that congregation and its establishment. Paul, while in prison, he'd write a letter to the church at Philippi. We study it even today and are amazed at the great truth with which it contains. And now here he's in prison. Here Paul and Silas were in prison because of the slave girl and the casting out of the demon. And now they're singing praises to God at midnight. And the text tells us in about uh, verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. I just wonder what those prisoners thought. Acts 16 and 25, when they hear men of God pray. And they're singing praises to God. Now, you know what we'd probably be doing? We'd probably be singing the blues. And we'd probably be singing, oh, poor me. You know, my back is sore because I I was beaten. And I'm mad as I can be because I didn't have my due process before the magistrates. I was just thrown in here and And they didn't give me my due process as a citizen of Rome. And man, I'm fighting mad. Now, these men are singing praises to God. I'd probably be singing the blues. Now, I think their back is still sore and still hurting. They still suffer the bruising from persecution and suffering. But even with the suffering and the aches and the pains, they're praising God and they're singing their praises and they're saying their prayers. And I wonder what those prisoners thought. Those prisoners have probably heard a lot of cursing in those prisons. Those prisoners have probably heard a lot of foul language and a lot of foul talk in those prisons. I just wonder if they have ever heard praying in those prisons and singing praises to God Almighty, thanking God that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And a great earthquake comes. God uses that physical phenomena to loosen the fetters and the chains, to loosen the hinges to the gates and the bars. The jailer comes rushing in, thinking that all of his convicts are escaped, and he realizes when he hears Paul say, Do do thyself no harm. We're all here. And he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see how prayer... Brought about a great opportunity there to teach somebody. And you know what that man did? He heard the gospel of Christ. He and all his household obeyed the word of God and become part of that church at Philippi. Prayer and singing hymns to God were a part of that happening, that event. What a wonderful situation that was. Convicts, convert from a concert that's the best way i can remember that and i'm going to remember those three words when i think about acts chapter 16 and what prayer brought about when's the last time we prayed lord send some soul to me today that i may teach them your word that they may obey the word of god before it is too late i have one other and the time is just about gone you've listened so very patiently it's found for me in Luke chapter 9 and I want to turn to that and once again you'll remember uh, this incident I used it as part of our text tonight on prayers of the Bible and I tried to find from the pages of Acts as he was praying and uh, this of course is a reference to the transfiguration now about eight days after these sayings He took with him Peter and John and James and went on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, his appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And here Peter, James, and John are witnesses to that particular matter. I... I thought of two matters involved in this as they were praying. One of the things that I thought about in this great transfiguration scene of the Lord, a scene which Peter would never forget, is the light of the presence of Jesus. How that we, as children of God, are to cast that kind of light, a reflection of Christ. No. I'm not being transfigured like Jesus was. It was a special occurrence in the life of Christ. But I am to let my light so shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. But perhaps there's a deeper point to be found in this transfiguration scene, which is also found for us in Matthew chapter 17. And I chose to look at it from Luke chapter 9. And that's from the standpoint of the Apostles. You know, there's an old saying back home, you can't keep cream from rising to the top. And I think that's what you have here in Peter, James, and John. The creams rising up to the top. And Jesus takes the cream, and He is transfigured before them. And they see this wonderful sight of His inward purity, His inward nature, and His holiness. And by looking at that, a great need is satisfied for them to see the inward nature of Christ and to come to understand that God, Emmanuel, indeed is with us and that this Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and that His death on the cross is going to bring about the salvation of mankind, all who will freely choose out of faith to obey Him. It satisfied a great need. And they would see that. And Peter would remember this account. He said, We were with him on the Holy Mount when his face did shine as the sun. Prayer can meet your needs. When you turn to God in time of suffering, in time of reversal, prayer is the time that you ought to be spending and engaging in those matters. These are difficult times, and so we pray. And we never get too busy to pray a need was satisfied there that day for peter and james and john and prayer will satisfy my need if i'll turn to god and he'll answer that prayer and you and i have studied that very carefully how god answers prayer sometimes he'll say yes to it sometimes he'll say no to it sometimes he'll say wait a while Sometimes he'll give me something else besides what I ask for. But one thing's always for sure. God knows what's best for me, and he's going to give me the very best. Will a father give his son a stone when his son asks for bread? No. He will grant that request. And if it's for my good, and in line with God's wisdom, and God's purpose, and in keeping with God's will and God's word, then God will grant that request as he was pray. I'll tell you one thing that I'd like for you to do, and I appreciate it so much. I'd like for you to pray for me. You pray for me and for my family as we continue to work, as we continue to work together with you. And i tell you one thing I'm going to do for you. I'm going to be praying for you and for this fine congregation that loves God and loves God's Word and loves the fine art of praying. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ tonight, I urge you to become a Christian. I urge you to repent of sin and confess your faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins that the Bible teaches. And I urge you to do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.